Good morning, family. As we worship during this Eastertide season, we celebrate confidence in God through living by faith. Christians have power to persevere in the storms of life through living by faith and not by sight. We feast on God's faithfulness to fuel our Godfidence, total confidence in God and his promises accessed by faith alone. Jesus offers the strength, security, and safety our hearts long for. Hear the word of God. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Thank you, Bella. Good morning, church. I add my greetings to those that you have already heard this morning. If you have a Bible, please keep it open to Hebrews chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, please open it on your phone or something of the like. We're going to dig into this passage today. Uh, We've hit a new section of Hebrews. Uh, For about the first 10 chapters in 18 verses, the author of Hebrews has been celebrating the reality that Jesus is better. Jesus is a better God. He's a better Moses. He gives a better covenant. His sacrifice is better. And he's been celebrating the greatness of Jesus. And we uh, saw last Sunday, Easter Sunday, that he, uh, the author makes a pivot from celebrating the greatness of Jesus to the implications of that reality for our life. Jesus is greater, and there are things that we do to live in light of this truth. And one thing that we do, uh, we we saw last week that we draw near to God. Uh, Another thing is we draw near to one another. Uh, Another thing is we don't quit meeting together. Another thing is, is that we continue to encourage one another as long as it's still called today. And today we're gonna see how the greatness of Jesus, the better work that he offers, frees us to persevere. This is the primary point of application of this section of Hebrews. Now, we must understand the normalcy of Scripture that offers an indicative, an identity of who we are, and then an implication for how we live our lives. Uh, You know this from places like Romans 12, 1 and 2. After Paul spends chapter after chapter celebrating what God has done, he then says, in view of God's mercy— Be transformed and live your lives as living sacrifices. You know this from places like uh, Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 to 10. You're saved by grace, through faith. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for you to do. Uh, You understand this paradigm. 2 Corinthians 5. You're a new creation in Christ. Verse 17. Therefore, live as Christ's ambassadors, live as ministers of reconciliation. Perseverance is in this same category. 
Oftentimes, as Americans, uh, we take perseverance and we put it on a to-do list as if it's something else we have to do. I have to get through this issue. I've got to make it through this to-do list. I have to endure this difficulty. I have to find endurance and persevere in this relationship. And we think about it with ourself and our own strength and self-resolve at the center. But biblically, that's not an accurate paradigm. Perseverance comes, it's a gift, we get power because of our indicative state. New in Christ, saved by grace through faith alone, we endure through the gift of perseverance alone. You say, Mitchell, that sounds good, uh, but can you prove it scripturally? The answer is yes. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 is probably the most famous place where you hear this. You know this verse that he who began a good work in you is going to trust you to finish that work, right? No. He who began a good work in you is dependent upon your performance and your effort and your strength to finish his good work, right? No. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, to perfection when Christ returns perseverance is a gift of grace. And it's an opportunity that we have when we live by faith because of who we are in Christ. Let me illustrate this with, from the animal kingdom. We've got to learn to live who we are. Kids, can I ask you a question? Kids, can I have your eyeballs? Raise your hand if you're under the age of 10 in here. Raise your hand. All right, we've got lots of you. What is the biggest mammal in the world? Just shout it out. Did you say you are? I am not the biggest mammal in the world. Unbelievable. We're going to try this side. What's the biggest mammal in the world? A whale. That's right. Oh, you said a whale. I misunderstood you. Yeah. No, it's true. Maybe we're insecure. Whales are the biggest mammal in the world. And it doesn't take a scientist to be able to look at a humpback whale and say, you've got a bit of a weight problem. You remember that old Saturday Night Live character? Humpback whales can weigh up to 79,000 pounds. That is heavy. And did you know that every year they migrate further than any other mammal? Did you know that? The heaviest, largest mammals migrate from the cold waters where they eat their food, they eat their krill, all these tiny little fish, and they put on their LBs, their pounds, so that they can travel over 4,900 miles. And these mammals go on this migration, and oftentimes the way they make this trek is they don't even stop. They don't sleep, they don't eat, they just go. And they make that trip twice a year. The largest mammals have the longest migration and the total miles that they swim every year is almost 10,000 miles. And you say, Mitchell, how do they persevere in such a journey? How do they endure such a long distance? The answer is simple, they're whales. That's exactly how they're wired, 
It's exactly how they're created. They have everything they need to do from the mental mindset to the physical ability to make an impossible journey just to eat and have babies and make more whales. Craziness. It's who they are. Their indicative state of being a whale leads to the implications for their life. So too with people who are in Christ, that we are a new creation born to a living hope, so we have the opportunity to receive the gift to persevere and make it on this journey when we trust our God and his design for our life. Now, what happens if a whale says, you know, this whole biology, this whole thing where I'm wired, I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. I'm going to not migrate. I'm just going to go hang out on this coast in the sun. What happens then? You got yourself a beached whale. And what happens to beach whales? They don't persevere. They don't endure because they reject it the gift of God that is theirs by virtue of their created state. Now, Christian, we're going to approach this passage as if you know Jesus personally, because the author of Hebrews has been writing that way. If you're in here today and you don't have a living, saving relationship to Jesus, then consider this an invitation, an opportunity for you. As we navigate a world with choppy seas, a difficult ecosystem, and we wonder, how can God even be good when the pain and the uncertainty is this great? The answer, we're going to trust him and live by faith. So let's pray to the Lord of the word before we really study the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your power. Thank you for the gift of grace. I ask, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would speak through your word. We long to trust you and your work. Lord, we want to know you more fully and what you've done more fully so that we can live for you more faithfully and fruitfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. As we look at this passage, we begin at verse 35. Uh, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Confidence. This is a word that we easily confuse. Confidence does not mean your own self-resolve, your own mental discipline, uh, your own ability to find the reward you're looking for through trying harder in your difficult circumstances. Yes, we need to have confidence in ourselves. Yes, we need to have a good, uh, good control, a renewing of our mind, telling ourselves the truth. But when the author of Hebrews is talking about the word confidence, we need to resist the temptation to baptize that with a Western mindset where we, can, we know we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we just tr- bootstraps if we just try harder, we can make it through. What we should translate this as uh, is what my friend, Pastor Randy uh, Garcia, he uses the word, he, he uses the word Godfidence. Now, I told our Sunday school class, we go into the deep end of our discussion, and I said, I'm going to save my cheesiness for the sermon because, you know, Godfidence, it's like, well, isn't that cute and kind of coining a phrase? It's kind of nice. Godfidence, you've probably heard this before, but Godfidence is different than confidence. Godfidence is total trust in God himself, 
his word, his promises, and his design for our life. Godfidence is confidence with concrete centering focus on the Lord. Godfidence is what enabled Peter to walk out on the water in the storms and the lack of Godfidence being overwhelmed by his circumstances. That distinction caused him to sink. Godfidence. Godfidence is what Esther had when her people were going to be terminated in a very difficult time with lots of injustice and abuse of government power beyond description. Godfidence is what she had to respond to God's call to be a woman of faith at such a time as this. Do you remember that? Godfidence. Godfidence is what Daniel had when he chose to live faithfully in an empire that was persecuting him for his belief in God and his practices. Godfidence. It's what Deborah had in the book of Judges so that she could be the warrior that God called her to be. Godfidence is a total confidence, not in yourself, but in God, not in your strength, but in God's word, not in your own power, but in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is confidence in God, what we'll call Godfidence. And you say, Mitchell, I appreciate that, but I stink at that. I really stink at that. And you know what I say to you if you stink at it? Join the club. I stink at it too. I'm horrible at having confidence. But that's where the power of the gospel comes in because Jesus was fully human. He lived the life we could never live. And you know what he did in the garden on the night that he was betrayed, the night he experienced injustice, the night that he went before the false trial of the religious leaders? He was in the garden. And he demonstrated Godfidence in the Father when he said, I mean, prayerfully, he wanted out of his circumstances so bad, he was bleeding blood. Like, that happens. That was, of course he was bleeding blood. All right, um, this is not a biology class, thank you. He was sweating blood in his prayer. Have you been that stressed in your circumstances, that anxious? Jesus was. Literally praying, change my circumstances. Please change your will but he had such confidence in the Father. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And then here's what's even crazier, friends. Because you and I absolutely stink at confidence. he went to the cross and died to pay for the price of my idolatry, to pay the price for my sinful self-confidence. He paid the price for my rebellion and rejection against him in choosing other things of this world to be confident in. He died to give us grace so that we can have space to begin again and choose in difficult circumstances to have confidence only in him. Godfidence, total trust in his word, his work, his person, and his promises. And the author of Hebrews says that there is great reward in this. Great reward. You say, Mitchell, what is that? Does that mean my circumstances are going to get better? Does that mean that things are going to work out the way I want? Does that mean I'm going to be prosperous, healthy, wise, successful, wealthy? Is that what that means? There's a reward? No. No. Jesus had confidence, 
God for this, he went to the cross. What the reward is that we can have a sweet surrender where we can sing even in the storms and know that it's not always going to be this way. We know our suffering, our struggle is not the end of the story. But there will be a day that the king who died and rose again, who will return and make all things new. So that we can have strength for today, says the hymn writer, and bright hope for tomorrow. Because great is his faithfulness. That is a better promise that gives us better perseverance a confidence in Christ. Here's what this looked like for the early church. If you look back at the verses right before this, uh, starting in verse 32, he says to him, but recall the former days after you were enlightened. Now, after you were enlightened, now remember this. Now, we've all seen this. We mentioned this a little in Sunday school. We've all seen people come to Christ. Their faith is, is new and they're really excited about life and love. We've seen that. And then somehow things grow cold. It's like uh, young married relationships where it's so exciting and so full of life and there's so much energy, so much excitement. And then 10, 15, 20 years later, love grows cold. Somehow that, the, the flame in, in marriages gets put out by a focus on self, different idols and dependencies, not living with the gospel at the center of your life and your love. What was true in marriage is no marriage is struggling said, well, we're following our game plan just perfectly. Nobody plans on it. Difficulties and divorce. Same is true with our faith. We come to Christ, nobody plans on the passion to grow cold. Nobody plans for us to get too busy to really remain intimately involved in Christ. Nobody plans it. But the author of Hebrews is, is propelling people forward to persevere by calling them to look back. Look back at, at how your first love enlightened you to live with joyful perseverance embracing the gift of grace. Look how it's described. It's just a bed of roses. It's a perfect relationship. Listen, you endured hard struggles with sufferings, verse 30. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Sometimes you were uh, being partners were, who were mistreated and you had compassion on those who were in prison and you joyfully, hear this, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an, an abiding one. Wow. There was a time in, in the relationship with the early church, and maybe there was a time in your life where you loved Jesus so much that he was enough. You didn't have to have Jesus as like a booster rocket that we talked about on Easter Sunday morning that gets you in the orbit of your desires and your dreams and you just kind of floats off. You didn't have to have something else. You didn't have to have security. You didn't have to have significance. You didn't have to have Jesus plus success to be happy. Jesus was enough. You see, the gospel frees us to be content with the love of Christ. It's enough. 
God's unconditional love, his work for you, it's enough. You don't need because you already have in Christ. And this is the soil, this eternal, unconditional love that the author of Hebrews sinks the roots in so that you can get the nutrients of the gospel for perseverance. And he goes on. How do we do this, Mitchell? How do we have this confidence? Well, we have to focus our faith so that we will endure. Look at verses 36 to 38. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. It has a great reward. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance. (laughs) You can't do it on your own, friends. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what he's promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come. He won't delay. Jesus is coming back. Verse 38, my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul will find no pleasure in him. First, we see that focusing our faith means we understand that the promises of God are accessible by faith alone. You have need of endurance. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But I'm going to tell you this. It will be more difficult for you to be a Christian to follow Jesus faithfully by this time next year than it is today. It will be more difficult for you to follow Jesus on your campuses, in your families, with your finances, with your friends, with your free time, when considering your future, it will be more difficult, exponentially difficult in the next few years. You have need of endurance. You must understand that you access that gift by faith alone, or you will compromise. And good news, when you compromise, God's grace is there and gives you space to begin again, ground that you can start to walk forward again in faithfulness. But he says you have need of endurance. And the the second thing he says about faith, faith uh, that will give us endurance by the focus is the righteous will live by faith. Now we celebrate this passage, this verse, the, the righteousness, righteous will live by faith. We understand it in the context of, of the Reformation. We're a Reformed church, and we look back at Luther and Calvin and the men whom God used in the Reformation, and we're grateful. And they reclaim the truth of Scripture that by faith alone you are justified. And this truth is, uh, was the heart of the Reformation because it's the heart of the New Testament. And you see in places like Romans 1, 16 and 17, or Galatians 3, 11, that the, we are justified by faith alone. But the author of Hebrews takes the words of Habakkuk and he, he flips them. Not only are you justified by faith alone, but if you are justified, get this, if you are justified, you will live by faith alone. You're justified by faith alone, but if you're justified, then you'll live by faith alone. Faith alone in what? Faith alone in the person and the promises of God. Faith alone in the grace of our Lord Jesus. Faith alone in the power of the gospel. Faith alone in God's sovereign grace, that he really is working all things according to the counsel of his will, that he really is taking what the enemy intends for evil and making uh, making it good. He really is working, thing for the, working things for good for those who belong to him and for the glory of his name. God really is, according to Ephesians 1.11, working all things according to the counsel of his will. 
We live by faith alone. That's total confidence in God. And the author is using the prophet Habakkuk who lived during horribly difficult times. After the fall of Nineveh in 600 BC, the prophet Habakkuk prophesied in Jerusalem just 14 years before Jerusalem itself would fall to Babylon, the same global power that took down Assyria and Nineveh. They were coming. And there was internal strife, unsettledness, injustice. The people of God were decaying. Externally, there was international uncertainty, geopolitical, strong arming and flexing like you can't even comprehend. You think it's unsettled globally today when we're wondering what Putin is going to do with a nuclear war? We wonder how China's going to respond with economic measures? We wonder what's going to happen, not just in Ukraine, but also in Taiwan. You think there's global uncertainty now, wondering how all these second-tier countries that haven't condemned the move move of Russia, how they're going to maybe unite and react. You think there's uncertainty with economic inflation now. You think there's uncertainty in what's going to happen to the U.S. dollar. You think there's uncertainty with who is going to be on top just seven years from now. You think there's uncertainty now. It's nothing compared to what Habakkuk experienced. JV, man, junior school. JV is junior varsity. Junior school is JS. But if I said JS, you'd be like, what does JS mean? I know what JV, you see, I have to explain things. You with me? You with me? Okay, tracking with me? And Habakkuk has this divine dialogue with the Lord. And God says to him, the righteous shall live by faith. To trust that I'm making all things new. To trust, to use the language of God in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. I'm doing a work that you wouldn't even understand if I explained it to you. That's what God says. I am doing something so great that if I tried to explain it to you, you wouldn't even get it. In Habakkuk's posture, he embodies the message that he calls us to to live by faith. And look what he says in verse chapter 3 should be on the screen. Though the fig tree doesn't bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Next slide. (laughs) Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. I'm going to read it. Yet I, there it is. Can y'all say that together? Yet I, Yet, no, you said Yeti. I didn't say Yeti. He says, yet I, I will rejoice in the Lord and be joyful in God, my Savior. Are you kidding me? That in the midst of suffering and struggle, that he can say the sovereign Lord is my strength, that he makes my feet like a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Are you kidding me? that in the middle of internal rot and international uncertainty, that he can say, I will joyfully sing. Yes, he can. God does not make his circumstances better, but God gives him a substance, a reward, something solid, because he lives by faith and not by sight. Because we are justified, yes, by faith alone. But if you are justified, then you live by faith alone. You don't live by what you feel. You don't live by what you see. You don't live by the headlines you read. You read, except for one headline, the headline of heaven. Jesus wins. And he's making all things new, even as we speak. Faith is the bridge between brokenness and new beginnings. Faith 
is how we navigate the tension between our problems, our pain, and God's promises. Faith is how we live in a world of tragedy while trusting God's sovereignty. C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Problem of Pain, that God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he, he speaks in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It's a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What is God saying to us through our pain and our problems? He's saying, you can trust me. I love you. The world is changing, but I'm not. I'm still good. I still have compassion for you. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm with you. I will give you everything you need. I will protect you. I will finish what I started. Do not fear. Have faith in me. I've bought you with my blood. You are mine. In that solid position is where the author ends today. That God is faithful and our Father's promises fuel our perseverance. That our identity drives the implication of perseverance. Look at the last verse. He says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who have faith and persevere to our soul. Who are of those? You see, when you're in Christ, you are of those who persevere. It's who you are. You are of those family members of faith that we're going to unpack in Hebrews 11, where we go from Adam through Abraham, and we run through the, the hall of faith and look at the heroes of the Old Testament who lived by faith, never receiving what they promised, but trusting God for their reward. You are of those, of those who have made a decision that though there will be persecution, we will joyfully be plundered. You are of those like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who uh, is recorded in Eric Metaxas's book, a great biography on Bonhoeffer, who was persecuted as a pastor by the German Nazi government. And when he was taken away, after he said his last prayer, you know what Bonhoeffer said to his cellmate? Don't cry for me. This is not the ending. This is a new beginning. And then he went to die. You're of those. You're of those in the family of God who persevere with power. You are of those who are on the winning side. You are of those who have victory. You are of those who belong to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are of those whose king, the, the word of God says that all the powers, whether it's Cyrus or Nebuchadnezzar or, or anyone, Herod or any other king, it's like water in his hands. And he is ordering things for his birth. You're of those who are on the Lord's side. You are of those who are free and forgiven. This is who you are. And God wants to give you this grace to persevere. God is faithful. We can trust him. He gives us a new identity and a new power that's a lot stronger than what the whale has. 
he gives us something that doesn't just take us on a 10,000-mile journey every year so that we can eat and reproduce. He gives us access to an eternal kingdom, and I can't wait to get there in chapter 12, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. But you're going to have to hold on for 11 and 12. We're going to get there. We keep worshiping the Lord with his word, but right now let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you. We believe. Would you help us with our unbelief? You have won, and by faith we are of those who belong to you securely. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us, your people in this room, to taste the fruit of the reward, to celebrate and rejoice even in our struggle, knowing that we can take joy in the God of our salvation even before things get better. Yet I, yet we can trust in you. Lord, for those that are looking for a bridge from brokenness to a new beginning, Lord, for those who are trapped in their problems and their pain and they can't yet say, I trust your promises, would your Holy Spirit touch their life? We love you, Lord, and we thank you and ask that you would be pleased. Please ambush us with your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.